Welcome to Security Architecture Podcast, where we help cybersecurity professionals to stay ahead of the curve and ensure they are successful in their cybersecurity journey. Hi, everyone. I'm Dimitri. Hi, I'm Evgeny. We have Dino from Momentum Cyber and Seto from Entity joining us today. Dino, it's the second time you are on our podcast for the Moneyball episode. Please tell us what has changed in your life from the last time we spoke. A lot has changed. I think the last time you and I spoke, I was coming to you live from a basement in Michigan. <laughs> so my uh, family relocated a couple times uh, over the past year, but we've uh, most recently ended up in uh, Miami. So I'm now based on the East Coast, a bit closer to some of our friends in, uh, in New York and DC, Boston, Tel Aviv. So uh, I look forward to, uh, to seeing more, more of those folks in person. That plus we also opened a second office uh, at Momentum. So now we have uh, an office in San Francisco and also uh, in Austin as well. Amazing. Uh, very exciting news. Yep. Seto, it's a pleasure to have you here for the first time. Please uh, spend a minute introducing yourself. Certainly. Obviously, not as exciting as Dino. Still where I am when the pandemic started. But hey, look, so happy to be on here with you. My name is Seto Kulkarni. I'm at NTT. I came through the acquisition of Entity Application Security, and we are an application security company solving what I think is one of the biggest problems in the industry today. Thank you, Seto. And as a great expert in application security, in your opinion, what are the pillars of successful application security programs? So when you look at application security programs, and when we kind of talk to our customers, because at the end of the day, it has to be successful. So we talk to a lot of customers to understand what they do from an application security perspective. Broadly, there are three things that come up at a very high level, right? Number one, there is a big cultural component to application security. At the end of the day, if you think about security teams, uh, they are slightly disconnected from application development teams. So there is a big cultural component where the application teams and the security teams need to come together. So there's a cultural aspect to getting a good application security program in place. Now, to support that application security program, you also need to have the right kind of people, right? So you need to build a team of individuals uh, who can do a couple things. Who can, one, bridge the gap between security and applications. They can also be facilitators and educators, because remember, at the end of the day, not everybody understands application security. We know how to build applications. Somebody needs to help us understand what good secure applications look like. So you need to have the right team. And last but not the least, I think at the end of the day, there has to be a process. You can get the right people, the right culture, but if you don't have the right process, oftentimes programs don't succeed. So there is a recipe of putting a good application security process in place. And that to me are the three big those to me are the three big things that are kind of the pillars of application security, if you may. So Seto, what you're saying is that we need the culture, we need team, we need education, and we, and we also need the process. Nino, we spoke in the past multiple times about network security, endpoint security, and we know the market is quite huge for all, this, for all these technologies. What about application security? How big is the market there? Yeah, so it's... Great question. I mean, it depends first how you look at the, the way that you define it. I think most of us are probably on the same page, but you'll hear me talk about really two kind of core areas. 
kind of the, the app defense side of the world, right? The RASP, the WAF, the API security bot, you know, protection, and then kind of the app sec kind of testing or tools side of things, right? The SaaS, DAS, SCA, et cetera. Depending on the source that you look at, the overall application security markets are kind of encompassing both of those pillars. You know, I've seen estimates of about 5 billion or so is, is, is the market size with a growth rate somewhere between 11 and 14%, depending on which, uh, which source you're looking at. Interestingly enough, which I think this will be a common thread with, with some of the statements that I'll make throughout the podcast. Interestingly enough, you'll see that Gartner put out a report that the AppSec testing part of the market is actually growing at you know almost double that rate, right? So 25% year over year. So I think that aligns well with uh, some of the, the trends that we'll talk about. But growth rate is quite impressive when you look at, you know, especially a couple of the particular sectors underneath uh, the app security umbrella. Is the pandemic help this growth because people moving more applications and workloads to a cloud? So pandemic definitely helped uh, the overall growth in the cybersecurity market. I mean, it's no, no no secret to any of us, right? Pandemic kind of helped folks lift and shift faster. I mean, all, all the buzzwords we can use, right? Digital transformation, uh, the, the, you know, the, the move to the cloud, the, the reliance on technology was something that was absolutely critical for businesses to to survive, and many of them thrive uh, during the course of the pandemic. So yes, I would say with the increased reliance of technology and, and cloud applications and, and kind of the, the, the focus on kind of tech enabling everything uh, in the world, I would say we're gonna continue to see the growth, continue to fuel the overall cybersecurity market. I'd say AppSec is definitely seeing the tailwinds there and specifically the kind of the AppSec tool side of things, I think we'll continue to see more tailwinds as it's getting harder and harder to try to protect things kind of when they're already pushed into production. And it's really important, and again, not to throw in too many buzzwords, but it's really important to look at as as we shift left, um, that emphasis of shifting left is going to happen, not just from the, the perspective of getting our teams to collaborate a bit more, but also to truly have a robust security program. It's, it's, it's almost going to be impossible to do if you're focusing too late in the process. So the observe feature blames platform play hype cycles in cybersecurity. At what cycle do you sense the market is today? Actually, um, as I answer that question, let me pick up on something that Dino said, right? Dino is uh, absolutely right as far as the focus on application security is concerned throughout this pandemic. The pandemic is kind of a, a great inflection point for us. More applications have come on board. And as a matter of fact, there are already a lot of applications that existed, right? So it's almost like the tsunami of the past. Suddenly, everybody wants to make sure that their only storefront, which is the application, is as secure as it can be. Now, using that backdrop, it kind of becomes uh, interesting to look at the way uh, customers are trying to address application security. They're looking for very pointed features. You've got applications that are running in production and you want to be able to scan them, right? And test them for security. So that's a very specific ask that customers have, for example. Or customers might be on a greenfield project where they're using a lot of container-based, microservices-based technology. So they want very specific features and functionality to address those needs. So as I kind of talk through that, one of the things that we've started or I've started noticing is the shift away from 
platform orientedness, so to say, right? I'd argue five years ago that folks were looking at what's the big picture? How do I consolidate application security? Because we feel that we've got a stable portfolio of applications. But suddenly over the last, I'd say two, two and a half years, there's been an explosion in not only web applications, but API applications, mobile applications, uh, microservices based uh, development has kind of become mainstream. So I think there's been a, a constant, consistent shift towards more of a feature play, right? Some features like API security have come top of mind. Very specific developer education in the moment. Developer education is something that is top of mind for folks that we we speak to. So that's kind of the shift that I'm seeing, and I'm sure that as kind of these shifts and trends stabilize, there will be a time in the near future where I think the industry is going to shift focus to, to demanding more platforms. But right now, I think there's a lot of focus on having great feature functionality to address the very specific needs of modern applications. Zato, what do you think about the lack of professionals on the market in the space of application security and DevSecOps? It's very hard today to hire DevSecOps people. Do you see these tools compensating over this shortage or it's something else? The lack of resources is very acutely felt across the industry. There are more applications than ever that, than, than the number of people that we have to test and secure these applications. Also remember that many of the applications that we use today, they probably don't have development teams supporting them. How many times have we been in a situation where we put out an application and we moved on to the next project? But the application lives much longer in production than in development. So there is clearly a big gap in the kinds and the number of resources we need to implement a good AppSec program and a good DevSecOps program as you get into a more agile world. Now, to your second question about are these tools meeting that or 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 kind of bridging that gap, the skill shortage and the resource shortage gap, to a certain extent they are. But at the end of the day, if you can't get the right process in place, uh, if you can't get the right team in place, and if you can't get the right accountable culture in place, the tools are not going to help you. But that's the reason why I think as we kind of get into this feature-based world, it's important for us to make sure that we've got the right Kind of basic infrastructure as far as processes are concerned, having the right set of individuals on your team is concerned, and building that accountable culture that if a vulnerability is found, we actually do everything in our control to go fix that vulnerability. So yes, tools can help to a certain extent, but you also need the rest. Actually, say to, to that point, I think it's interesting because there is there's an element I also think of the the innovation and the kind of evolution that's happening within application security that does help um, the, the challenge uh, that Dimitri was talking about. Uh, what I mean by that is as you push security further and further left, as we get focused more on the developers, it's almost like by providing tools that enable developers to do their jobs better, faster, but also more secure, it's as if we're deputizing developers to put their security hats on occasionally by giving them the tools to try to build more secure applications by kind of building security into that development process. One could argue that if we did that part of the equation very, very well, that might 
minimize the burden and the impact that's felt uh, on the back end, right? Which typically it's it, it felt like it was throw it over the wall to production and then the security teams will just deal with it. But hopefully as we kind of instill that um, capabilities and innovation um, and, and, and that mentality of security from the get-go, I'm, I'm hoping that it helps reduce the burden somewhat. So your point is that it's moving from reactive to proactive. Exactly. And, and it kind of, we, we see those trends across the board, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, where the capital is flowing and where people are interested from an investment perspective, but that's, that's also what we're seeing is, is people are much, much more focused on becoming as proactive as possible. But obviously I don't think these app defense tools are going anywhere anytime soon because the reality is exactly to say to his point, applications live on much, much further, you know, longer than, than, you know, developers are, 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 are touching them, so to speak. If you are, you brought the point about the capital. Maybe you can spend some time to tell us what do you see in the market? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, so if you look at year to date, we've got about 50 deals or so that I would say fall under that application security bucket. That's an increase of about 50% over the same number of deals last year around this time. I'd say there's a couple of interesting trends really that are, are quite in line with what we're talking about, right? So under that app defense bucket, we tend to see more of the activity on the M&A front and, and kind of the big headline deals that you'll see are going to be a bit more on that. The, the, the folks that are a little bit further along in their journey, right? More well-developed, the WAF players, the RAS players. We saw, you know, Signal Sciences and Fastly fairly recently uh, happened. We saw Screen, you know, getting acquired by Datadog. You know, we're seeing activity, I'd say that the M&A has been a little bit more skewed on that app defense side. Whereas if you start looking at the financings, we're actually seeing it shift more left, right? Financing arguably is, is more of a leading indicator of where the industry is headed. And we're, we're seeing that more of the big headline deals that are happening in, in the financing world, like you've, you've seen Snake, their, their, their valuation twice this year has, has gone up. I mean, I think they, they doubled their valuation in a matter of months. I think they brought in about 730 million of capital this year alone. We've seen white source in the SCA space um, raise some capital. I'm, I'm not saying there's no activity happening on the app defense side, right? Like API security, I think is one of the areas, one of the pillars underneath app defense that is still attracting capital as well, like No Name and Salt uh, and others in that space. But really, I think a lot of the attention and the innovation is being focused on that AppSec testing side of the house. We see consolidation of tools on the market, and we can identify SAST consolidating with Dust into ICE, WAF and IDS APS transitioning to Rust. What's your opinion on that? I think this consolidation that you're talking about, you know, ultimately is, is a natural evolution, right? Because the way applications are being developed, deployed, is also changing. Today, if you're trying to hire a developer, you're looking at a full stack engineer. The developer, when they come in, they're able to do everything from basically setting up their dev environment to potentially pushing code to production. And that's the reason why I think you start seeing this merging of technologies like DAS and SAS. How can we get the best of both worlds into, into a tool like IAS? However, I think it's an interesting trend. Another interesting trend that we are we've started to see, and maybe Dino, you have an opinion here, is around how there is trend where application development platforms have started offering SaaS-like features, right? At the end of the day, if I'm an application development platform, I want to make sure I make the developer's life as easy as possible. 
I'm already providing a lot of the capability around, let's say, unit testing or performance testing or code coverage analysis. And for an application development platform or a code repository platform, I think it's a natural evolution that we can also start seeing some consolidation of static analysis and developer-oriented features in the application development platforms. So I'm quite actually looking forward to that trend playing out because I think it's an important consolidation trend, which I feel at the end of the day might be something that developers will much appreciate. Yeah, you're spot on, right? I mean, if you look at more of that's, I don't know who you subscribe to, the Forrester Wave, if you look at Gartner, I think they have their magic quadrant for application security testing. You're starting to see names like GitLab and GitHub and others that are appearing on those, right? Not traditionally security players. Obviously, there's some native capabilities that'll be built in there. I think there's going to be, I mean, there's already a ton of partnerships and integrations that are happening. I think what application security companies realized early, early on is that if you approach application security as a, a traffic cop or as a roadblock or an impediment for a developer, either they're not going to use you, they're going to find a way around you, or they're going to basically wait till the last possible minute to introduce you into the process, in which case you're kind of hamstrung from the get-go, right? The more we see these developer-focused tools integrating security in there, I think that was one of the biggest drivers for why Sneak has, has raised capital at such a, a crazy high valuation, right? crazy high, but it's it's definitely higher than what we would expect relative to, let's say, financial traction. It's actually their community of developers. Um, interesting t- a stat that I saw, if you look five years ago, the percentage of these application security tools that were used by developers versus your IT security teams, it was, I think it was like 20, 25% uh, maybe were in the hands of developers. Now the stat is actually, it's converging. I think we've actually reached parity in 2021 where you're looking at the equivalent usage, let's say, between the developers and the information security teams. It gets to what points you were making earlier on is that trend I would expect to continue. And I would I would hope and expect to see more and more of these developer-focused platforms absorb, and frankly, uh, M&A, which we're not going to complain as Momentum Cyber, but I would expect to see more of that activity happening where these capabilities just get baked into the tools as opposed to needing a separate security tool versus my development tool. Also, I think that's probably a, a good trend because if you think about developers, developers If the developers are naturally attracted towards a certain set of functionality, they'll adopt it. Versus if you start marketing to developers, the almost immediate reaction is, wait a minute, why are you trying to market to me? So I think there is an interesting play on the developer psychology and mentality as well. Developers like to experiment. They like to discover. And the moment you discover that there's a nice tool that I can use and it's solving my use case, you start promoting it. So I think... Security has to become naturally attractive, if I may, mm-hmm. to the developers. And the best trajectory for that is through application development platforms and tools. Yep, absolutely. 100%. If you're an enabler and make your developer's life easier and you happen to bake in some security, you'll be great. If you're you know, a, a roadblock or a traffic cop, there, there's no chance, no matter how many marketing dollars you spend. Exactly. There is a lot of discussion on the internet right now about software components. How do I actually build my software? What's included there? And software bill of material been around for several years, but I think this year it become even more in focus. So Seto, maybe you can talk a bit more about what do you think, where it's going, who are the players, 
what's the opportunity here as well? Absolutely, right. I think the, the software bill materials, or if I had to kind of speak to you two, three years ago, we'd be calling it some form of software composition analysis. And if I were to speak to you 10 years ago, we were still calling it software bill of materials, right? So it's going through that cycle. I remember when I was early on in my career in product management, at the end of the day, it was my responsibility to actually make sure that all the open source software and the commercially off-the-shelf software that we've embedded are actually documented and that bill of materials for that software is well-described in a readme file. So whoever in those days would download the product and install it, they could read the readme file and see the entire list of components. Now, fast forward to, to today where everything is becoming more online, everything is available as a service. I think software bill of materials has taken an entirely new meaning because one vulnerability in your supply chain, in your the list of components that you're embedding, could open up the doors to a data breach it could open up to ransomware. The possibilities and the opportunities for bad actors is just so much larger today with, with everything being available online. So I think where the software bill of materials conversation is heading is more transparency. Right? At the end of the day, even if we read the presidential executive order that came out whatever four months ago, at least from a federal procurement point of view, they are now mandating that any software vendor that works with the federal government has to figure out a way to publicly declare what their software bill of materials is. The one piece that I'll add here, which is kind of quite interesting and intriguing to me is, today with, with the technology that we have available, we can certainly kind of see a near-term future where we can analyze software as it is and produce a bill of materials. But what about the hundreds of API calls that you're making to online services, that's also a part of your bill of materials. And there is little or no conversation around um, including that as a part of your bill of materials, because in my opinion today, it's also hard to do. Hard to kind of figure out at runtime, what are all the API calls that you're making? So that's where I think software bill of materials is headed. The right thing to do increases transparency. A lot of traditional SCA vendors are you know, the beneficiaries of this move. But I think the opportunity for growth here is it's not just about the embedded software. It's also about the software that you're using by reference, so to say, right? The API calls that you're making. Thank you. I expect a lot of development in the space in the next couple of years as well. The services and the API is the overseen topic as part of the existing standards. There is a ways to describe, for example, APIs that your software depends on, but there's no way to describe APIs that your solution expose. So that's that's a very valid topic and very important thing to address. Thank you, everyone. It was a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank thank you guys. Always uh, always a pleasure to be on, and uh, always always good to connect with you, Seto. It's uh, it's been a while. It's been a thank while. Thank you, Dino. Thank you, Seto. Great to see you all. Hopefully. Very soon, we'll be able to do this in person. That's what I'm looking forward to. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and join us for our next episode.